welcome everybody to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. My name is Ben Galker, and uh, I'm happy to be hosting this week, and I'm going to do my very best to put more effort into hosting the podcast than we've seen out of the Pistons the last two games. Ooh, just a brutal two games after the All-Star break. So I'm happy to be joined by someone who I think can help balance out a little bit of my pessimism that I'm feeling right now. Hypno Wheel, Sean Wheeler, uh, longtime DBB contributor and commenter. How are you, man? It's great to have you back. I'm actually doing great. Pretty much everything in my life besides this team is going pretty well right now. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, and I got to say the same thing. I'm the Pistons are struggling, but all things considered, you know, happy, happy and blessed and grateful. Anyways, diving into uh, the Pistons. All-Star break has happened. Quickly, let's kind of debrief what we've seen so far. Uh, we know from SVG's public comments since the break that he spent a good bit of time watching film uh, and breaking things down and trying to come up with some new schemes and some new sets and some new strategies to better utilize the skill set of Blake Griffin. Um, what have you seen so far in these two games? Have we seen anything new or different since the break? You know, I have to say, I mean, a, a good part of these first two games out of the break have been really difficult to watch. I mean, basically in the in the Boston game, like, you know, the beginning of the first quarter, most of the first quarter was, was okay to watch, a little bit of the second quarter, and then things just get so ugly. Um, it's, it's honestly, it's hard to see if he's done a lot of game planning or if he's thought a lot about how to utilize Blake extremely well. It's kind of hard to see it. Um, you know, Blake looked better in his very first game with the team uh, than he's looked for the past three to five games. And, I, and what I mean by that is, like, with no real game plan, with no real strategies drawn up for him, just Blake doing Blake um, on the Pistons with, you know, what, like an hour and a half run through before that. Um, you know, he, he looked really good in the first game. And, you know, all of a sudden now it's like, I mean, anytime he gets the ball, he's just like, like a bull trying to ram it into the paint or taking, you know, flat first. And um, if he's drawn things up for Blake, I, I have to say either, either it's not working um, or I think what we're really looking at here apart is, uh, is an ill fit at the moment. Um, meaning, You've, you've shipped out a guy in Tobias who is consistently hitting 40% or above from three. Okay, now he, he, he's not as good of an all-around player as Blake. He can't put up 22, eight, and seven or whatever on, on a regular basis. And in many ways, I, I think it was a good trade. But you know, just to cut down to business, you ship out him who shoots 40% from three, you ship out, shoot, ship out Avery Bradley who shoots 40% from three, an imperfect player. And what you bring back in is, is Blake, who since he's been with the Pistons is shooting like 30% from downtown. Um, and the, that loss of efficiency combined with things being more cluttered up now, meaning defense is not having to rush out to guard Tobias, to rush out to guard Avery Bradley um, on the three-point line. It's just, been a, it's just been really hard to watch. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think Blake did look really strong in his first game. I think um, for me, I, I've been kind of stunned these first two games because I've seen – little to no difference whatsoever. Um, I mean, the only main thing that I saw today was Luke Kennard didn't get to play till garbage time. And, and that seems like a really odd decision because he's essentially your best shooter. And, and also, I think one of your best guys without the ball, which is, I think, what you'd want to try to pair Blake Griffin with, right? I mean, he seems like the kind of guy you would want to go to. Um, stubborn, stubborn with the starting lineup, too. I mean, Ish and Stanley 
don't seem like good fits to me with Blake Griffin. Maybe he's, you know, just not wanting to make too many changes. I don't know. I, I would sure think that maybe sending Stanley to the bench and letting him be maybe sort of a point forward with the second unit playing off of Jameer Nelson and his ability to knock down open shots uh, would be a better fit. Uh, but really, I mean, just very little to no offensive scheme whatsoever. Um, the second unit has struggled mightily, but when the second unit gets out there, they look like they have a sort of game plan. You see, I think today in particular, a little bit more of motion off the ball, a little more off the ball screening, and going to a little bit of that dribble handoff stuff that they've been doing with Andre all season. By contrast, the first unit tends to be ish, either taking a whole lot of dribbles, uh, getting into the paint and throwing it out to a guy who can't shoot, or Blake Griffin gets the ball, and as you've mentioned, essentially tries to go one on five because there's, there's very little else that's happening offensively. So yeah, I'm not seeing much new at all. I'm not seeing much different and it's leading to kind of these same old ugly results. No, if you look at just the, uh, the plus minus from tonight, you know, I mean, the starters are all minus, of course, it was an ugly game, but the starters are, you know, the worst one was Dre minus 15. Then you had ish was only a minus six. I say only cause you know, they were down by 30, a good chunk of this game. You look to the bench, Tolliver minus 25, uh, Ennis minus 22, Jameer Nelson minus 17. Um, only the guys who played garbage time had a plus. Um, and so, and that was a, a similar dynamic, I believe, without checking um, against Boston as well. The bench is getting slaughtered. And it's different because at the beginning of this year, the bench was a, good, a really good strength for the team in the beginning of the year. Um, but I think... You know, when we talk about Reggie, which has been which has been talked about ad nauseum by me and others, you know, they're missing him. Is, is Reggie the kind of guy who can make a thirty point difference in a game? Well, it's hard to say because you know he, he hasn't been that dominant this year. He wasn't hasn't been his old self. Even he's been good, been solid. But when you look at the difference when you take Reggie off the starting unit, and now no one has to guard Ish out of the three point line, so there's one defender who's clogging the paint again. You know, guarding Ish fifteen feet in. And then you've got um, on the second unit, the drop from having Ish run the second unit to having uh, Jameer Nelson or Dwight Bikes or Langston Galloway try to run the second unit is, is actually tremendous as well. So both units are taking a significant hit when it comes to getting the offense in motion um, and in creating for your other teammates. And so it's, you know, it's like I watch the games like everybody else does and I see the, the, the sort of negative you know the negative dbb on twitter the, the you know the, the fans who are just now just completely in apocalypse mindset i get it because man I, this, this is ugly you know it is ugly 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 basketball and as optimistic as i am i can't put a bow on that um but at the same time i can't i, I think it's hard to really understand what how different things are going to be if and when whether it's this year or next year when you have a healthy Reggie in that starting lineup and Ish can go back to running the point on the second unit, I think it's, it just would have a dramatic effect. Um, that's not to excuse how terrible they've been recently. And I, I put that on Stan's shoulders. You know, um, I called Stan out in, in his first season for um, letting Josh Smith run rampant with just, I mean, it was as though he had no control over him. Smith was shooting whatever he wanted. The team was in the toilet. Um, and he didn't figure it out until a third of the season was wasted, and it was pretty much too late. And, uh, you know, the past two seasons, as we all know, the Dre post-ups experiment has been going on, and, and uh, you know, this year they stopped doing that, and, and there was a big improvement. Um, but whatever's going on right now, 
it's, uh, it's, you know, this adjustment with Reggie not being in the lineup. It's, it's taken SVG way too long to figure out not only how to get this team to, to win games, but lately to be competitive because they look like an absolute mess um, in the past, you know, five or six games. Yeah, and I could, you know, I I could probably talk for two hours about Stan Van Gundy's coaching, and I'll I'll spare all of you guys uh, hmm. that that rant because I've already I've already had it on Twitter a little bit, but there seems to be some low hanging fruit. Um, one thing that seems to be really really easy is I don't think there should ever be a possession where Ish Smith is the only one who touches the basketball. And prior to the all-star break, you know, I was counting that and that was happening three to four times a game. You might, I mean, that's just a wasted possession. That's three or four possessions you can just write off as a coach. You know, you talked about Josh Smith being able to do whatever he wants. Stan, I know doesn't like to micromanage and I get it when you're dealing with adults who have been playing basketball their entire lives and they know they're the best players in the world. I get that you don't want to micromanage these guys and have them second guessing themselves all the time. But there's just no way you should throw four possessions away because Ish Smith didn't find a way to pass the ball. Second thing is I think you have to put shooters around Blake Griffin. It's clearly yeah. not working to have Ish and Stanley out there together with Blake. Um, and I, I don't understand. Ennis is a solid shooter. Bullock is a solid shooter. Kennard is a solid shooter. You give up some defense if you move Stanley to the bench, and I get it. But defense has not been this team's problem. The, the problem has been offense, especially since Blake has been acquired, because you're right. They played good for one game, maybe two, and, and things just sort of fell apart. And in my opinion, they have to be one of the easiest teams in the entire NBA to scheme against defensively right now, because you just know you can double Blake or you can hedge off uh, on, on either Stanley or Ish and make, make life really, really difficult for everybody else. So to me, those are two things I would do right away. Yeah, who's going to hurt you from the perimeter besides Bullock? You know, right, exactly. and he gets his jabs in. But other than him, you don't have to guard Ish. You don't really have to guard Stanley. Stanley's, you know, hit or miss. What, what was he today? He made one three today. You know, so, but if even if, if you're only taking one three, <laughs> as you're the starting small forward, right. if you're only taking one three, um, how, how bad of a problem is that? How, how significant of a problem is that for teams to have to address? So the threat has to be there. And so they've got a threat at the two with Bullock. Um, Blake is like that sort of just below adequate, you know, power forward, um, you know, outside threat. And, and Ish is nothing and Stanley is nothing. So they've got to get, you know, once you get Reggie back in there, okay, 34, 36%, hopefully more. Um, they've got a garden. He can go off. He can hit that open shot. Um, and then you got you to gotta plug in a three there uh, who can not only make an occasional one, but who teams actually feel a need to guard out there. And Stanley will still just stand and watch him shoot threes. Even if he makes a couple, like no one really gets out on Stanley at the three-point line because they don't respect it yet. So if you're going to, you know, we're back to the same thing that, that um, SVG, the same dilemma he was in when he had Monroe and Drummond, um, well, you know, with Blake shooting 30% anyway, you know, you've got the same problem there, which is that you, you've got a, just a mess in the paint and defenses that can sag. And maybe, maybe you can say, look, you traded for Blake, and it's kind of like the year that he traded for Reggie. You know, he gave up DJ Augustine and Kyle Singler, who are not awesome players. Time were both pretty good three-point shooters. And you got back Reggie, who you know was on the year like a 32% three-point shooter, and uh, and they didn't have any depth, so they really struggled um, for the remainder of that season um, until they were able to reload in the off-season. So 
Um, you know, maybe that's maybe that's SVG's uh, game plan here is that, you know, he kind of knows that sub, you know, trading out Tobias for Blake Griffin this year is going to make things difficult um, with respect to spacing. But he, he believes that he can retool in the offseason and surround those two guys with um, three solid shooters in the one, two, three spots. Maybe. And, and if that's the case and the team ends up being a 51 team next year, then we'll all high five him. Um, but right now it's tough to watch. Yeah. So let's transition and talk about Reggie Jackson. Um, we did get some news finally after a lot of silence. Post-All-Star break, Reggie Jackson was cleared for some light running, uh, but not full basketball activities. And again, no timetable for his return. I think we have 23 games left in the season. There's not a lot of time left. Um, in in my mind, here's what I'm thinking about. If Reggie Jackson is 75% healthy with 15 games left, you shut him down. Um, I, I don't know what you're thinking. How, how how far can the Pistons go into the rest of the season uh, without him and still make a push for the playoffs? And if you're Stan Van Gundy and or the rest of the medical team making a decision about Reggie Jackson, do you try to push him in hopes that an 80% of Reggie Jackson gets you to the playoffs or, or do you shut him down and hope to come back stronger next season? No, you know, it's, it's like they, they kind of need him right now. Like if he were to return tomorrow night in Toronto, um, it, it probably still wouldn't be soon enough given the way this team is playing right now. Meaning, um, you know, if they bring him back right now, he's, he's not going to be able to play 30 minutes a game. Uh, they're going to have to work him back into the rotation. He's going to have to get back up to playing speed. If he's only doing light running, we're talking about another two weeks, probably minimum, before they bring him back in and gradually increment him, you know, Im- implement him back into the lineup. So, I, you know, it's like bef- shortly before the uh, the All-Star break, you know, there was a there were a couple games there. They win that Atlanta game and, and one of the other games there that they should have won, and, and they would have been right up there in the eighth spot or fighting for the eighth spot. And it was like really easy to see, Oh boy, Reggie's going to come back after the all-star break. They could storm in, kind of make the eighth seed there. And I tell you what, man, you, you watch that team today. It's like, boy, Oh boy, anything less than 18 point a game, six assists a game, Reggie Jackson at his peak um, is not going to be enough to, to save this team this year. So I think with every game that goes by that they play the way that they've been playing is another game where, where it's like, it makes no sense to rush him back. It really doesn't. Unless Stan, for just the last 10, 15 games of the year, wants to see what Reggie Blake and Dre look like, which I'm sure he does. You know, wants to see how they mesh on the court together. But in terms of saving the season for the playoffs, it's like, boy, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to imagine that given the way things have been recently. Yeah, I put out on Twitter after the game today, if I'm Tom Gores, Tom Gores, <laughs> apologies, Tom, if you're listening, <laughs> um, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that Reggie isn't rushed back to try to save this season. Because um, if the Pistons are going to have any chance of being a playoff team a year from now, they've got to have Reggie Jackson, right? There's just no question about it. Um, He's a a point guard like him is the only kind of point guard that's going to make this work, I think. And the Pistons don't have any other way to get a point guard like Reggie than to get Reggie healthy. So it just makes sense to get him healthy and let the season go. I think my concern is, I think everybody knows SVG has got to be on the hot seat in some way, shape or form. Right. I don't know if if it's a coin flip, whether he keeps his job or if maybe Tom is more committed to him than the fans seem to be. But what I don't want to see happen is Reggie rushed back in a, a desperate attempt to make the playoffs so that the Van Gundy administration isn't dismissed over the summer, I guess is sort of my fear. 
I have to say that I would be shocked if uh, Gora's file fired SVG in the offseason for missing the playoffs. I mean, like as involved in the team as this owner is, any any fan watching this team has got to know how significant missing your, that starting point guard is for this team in particular. Like this team cannot play the way it was designed to play without him. And maybe you can call that a flaw of SVG and say, oh, well, you know, he, he lost his job because he didn't have a plan B for if Reggie got hurt. Um, but I don't know if there's an owner uh, in the league who could play the, the better part of two full seasons without a starting point guard and make the playoffs. I mean, I was I mentioned that in the comment thread a few days ago, and I, like I don't know if anyone has any good examples of that, where like your starting point guard misses two thirds of the season, or, or last year, you know, he was there, but he wasn't really there. We all know, but he he wasn't really there, and it's like, how, what team can compete without that guy, other than maybe the Warriors? Yeah, only the, Warriors only the very very best of the very best. Yeah, very peak. I mean, we're talking peak, 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 peak. I mean, and and. You know, the Cavs went without having Isaiah Thomas there and, and they were doing just fine because they had a, a weaker schedule for a while. And, uh, you know, but you take Kyrie away from the Celtics and, uh, you know, <laughs> Marcus Smart is not leading that team to the record that they have. They, they probably would still be a playoff team, but would they be? And I'm not trying to, it doesn't even matter. People say, oh, well, Reggie's not all that great. Reggie's not Kyrie. Reggie's not Steph Curry. Reggie's not whoever. And it's true. But to this team, the point guard who can shoot threes, who can get to the hole, who can finish at the rim, who has good chemistry with the bigs, um, that, that player, you, you pull him out of this team and everything falls apart. It's like everything falls apart, especially when you got to replace him with a guy like Ish, who as talented as he is, he's the exact wrong kind of guy for the starting lineup. And, and that's what they're, the position they're forced into. So I, I don't know. If I'm Gores, I mean, I really think he'd have to be stupid and short-sighted. Um, because who are you going to bring in? Like what magical GM and or coach is he going to sign in the off season who is an upgrade in both of those places, who's going to be able to to turn this team into what we all want it to be um, faster, you know, because here we are, we've got Blake Griffin on our team. They, they've traded, uh, you know, they've been trading nickels into quarters for the past few years and it's a painful process and it's slow, but you got Reggie, you've got Blake, you've got Drummond, you know, you've got uh, some decent supporting players. It's like, but they just need to have everybody healthy. And uh, I don't know. I, I would be very, very shocked and disappointed if SVG wasn't back to at least let those main three guys um, give it a shot as a unit um, to, for a healthy over the course of a season. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost 100% in agreement. Just minor quibbles. I wouldn't be shocked if SVG is gone, but I would be pretty surprised. I think the the odds are overwhelmingly that SVG will be back for his fifth and final year. Just from a business perspective alone, I just can't imagine Gora's wanting to pay that whole administration for a fifth year without giving them the opportunity to put whatever this plan is that they currently have with Blake, Dre and Reggie into some sort of fruition. So I, I mean, I largely agree with all of that. I also largely agree, especially in the coaching front, it's hard to see who you would replace Van Gundy with. Um, you know, NBA coaches are not growing on trees, especially good NBA coaches. And uh, no. it's, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, fire Ben Gundy and all the problems go away. I don't think that's the case. 
Um, I, I do think you could probably upgrade some of the front office positions, but that's awfully hard to do piecemeal. Um, what you got in Van Gundy when you signed him to this five-year contract was sort of this comprehensive approach to the front office and the coaching staff. Uh, so that would be quite an endeavor to try to accomplish all that over the course of the summer and try to arrive next October with a, like a cohesive product, given all the changes we've seen in the past. Couple yeah. Years. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't look good to the rest of the league either. You know, it doesn't look good. This constant, this has been the whole thing for the past decade has been one coach and then another one coach and then another one coach and then another. And you have to, you have to be able to step back and look and go, you know, if, and I know these ifs, people are just tired of hearing these, and I get it. But if you, if you look at your, your team's health and you say, what was this team when Reggie was here this season? Okay, 19 and 14 uh, after an incredibly difficult stretch of the schedule. I mean, 12, 13 games, I recall, all against teams either on the road or above 500. You know, they're either playing above 500 teams at home or they're playing um, pretty good teams or above 500 teams on the road. Um, they, they went through a seven game losing streak during that time, but there they were 19 and 14 and they were sitting pretty in terms of like what sixth, fifth seed, maybe fourth. I forget what it was. They're pretty high up in the Eastern conference. And frankly, they looked really good. Even when they lost, they were competitive back then. And so you take 19 and 14 and, you know, you project that over the season. What are you looking at? Well, you're looking at a 46 win team, 47 win team. Uh, you know, you add Blake Griffin to that with Reggie, with Dre, like, you know, Use your imagination and start to think about what you, what kind of clay as a team, what kind of talent, what pieces you actually have to work with. And you can't just look at the record of the team. You can't just look at what they are now. You have to think about what they're going to be, what they could be um, if they get a little bit of luck from the injury gods. And that's how you're going to make an intelligent decision about how to move forward, not an emotional one. Yeah. I, and I think, like I said, I think I would be really surprised to see a change um, in any way, shape, or form to the front office or the coaching staff. And in this case, you know, it's really all the same thing. So, yeah, I, I would be really surprised. I think only Stan and Tom obviously know that for sure. Um, but I, I certainly don't see it happening. It would it would really surprise me. Um, talking a little bit about um, the schedule that's remaining, right? So Pistons had 25 games after the All-Star break. Two of those have come and gone. Uh, it, it was a difficult schedule. Uh, and I don't know how many people have really looked at the schedule to see what what's up ahead. But even with everything going perfectly, the Pistons had their work coming uh, work cut out for them. Twenty five games, ten of them at home. Six of those ten against teams who are currently playoff teams in the East. Fifteen games on the road, which includes I think one six game stretch that ends in Houston, um, including. I think four back-to-backs over the course of the last 25 games. Um, I did kind of a deep dive on this on Twitter a couple days ago. If, if you're interested, I'm not going to read all that back. Um, but really a very tough schedule left. Pistons have really struggled on the road. They're significantly worse on the road than they are at home. Um, they really have struggled in back-to-backs. And like I said, they've got two of those, or excuse me, I think four of those left. And they have really struggled against the West. Um, so I, I don't think the odds are good, even if things start clicking, um, that they're going to make the playoffs. I think the schedule alone, if we look just at the schedule, it means there's a, a really steep hill for this team to, to climb. Sean, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the schedule. Um, 
if you've had a chance to do any sort of that kind of analysis. But if so, is there anything about the Pistons' upcoming schedule that you think is maybe a key moment or a key stretch of games that could make or break the chances of this team getting in the playoffs? Yeah, when I when I, uh, I wrote an article a week or two ago, um, I think it was either during or just before or the All-Star break, when I, I kind of broke it down, not so much into stretches, but I broke the schedule down into games in which they should be favorites, games in which they should be clear underdogs, games in which, which are more toss-ups. And what I came up with, and I, I pulled it up here, I mean, they've got a game at Orlando, they've got a home game against Chicago, they're at Sacramento, at Phoenix, home again, I guess. They're, they're playing Chicago three times throughout the remainder of the season. You know, a team that's in tank mode. No, jo- no joke, they've got talented players, but, you know, a clear non-playoff team. you got Orlando, you got Chicago, you got Sacramento, Phoenix. Chicago again, the Lakers at home, the Knicks on the road, Brooklyn on the road, Dallas at home, Memphis on the road, Chicago on the road. So those are all winnable games. Um, looks like I think it's like 11 games or so that are all fairly winnable. Now, of course, we as Pistons fans who watch every game know they're going to blow a couple of those games at least. And if they play like they did today, they're going to blow a lot of them. Um, but those are very winnable games. And then you've got some games where, you know, it's going to be very difficult. You know, you've got the West Coast, Utah, Denver, Portland, Houston on the road. Um, you've got at Cleveland, you've got at Toronto tomorrow night. Um, they already lost the game against Boston. They've got another game against Cleveland on the road. Um, they've got another home game against Toronto. Like those are all games you'd have a hard time predicting a win. Um, and then you've got the toss up games. They blew one today, uh, with Charlotte. Uh, they've got, they've got a home game against Milwaukee. They've got a road game against Miami. They've got a home game against the wizards and another home game against the Sixers. So if, if they're playing well, you know, I know there's a general term, but I mean, if, if they're playing hard and their players and they, and they like learn to play together like they were earlier in the season, you know, they'd have to win almost all of the easy games. Um, and they'd have to win most of the remaining toss up games and they'd have to steal a couple, uh, perhaps of those tougher games. So, you know, without Reggie, you know, I was thinking if Reggie's back after the all-star break, you know, 15 wins going 15 and 10 was reasonable. Um, they're 0-2 already. That means they got to go 15 and, and 8 the rest of the way to get to what I think 44 wins or so would get them in. Um, boy, oh boy, it's hard to see when you look at what you've seen the past few games. It's hard to see. Like, it, you know, that's what makes it very difficult. It's like I don't see that team that played today beating a lot of these weaker teams, you know, especially on the road. Yeah, I, I pulled up some of the numbers I pulled while I was looking at this stuff over the weekend. Pistons are negative 3.3 points per 100 possessions on the road this season. Just that fact on its own, when you talk about 15 games on the road and 10 at home, that in and of itself makes it a pretty pretty difficult accomplishment to achieve. And, and you're right, especially when you look at the fact that the Pistons, you know, when this this squad, like when I say this squad, I mean this this core of guys has always struggled to play up, right? So when they play the good teams, we tend to see them at their best. Not always, but we tend to. And when they, they play the bad teams, we tend to see them at their worst. It's if they play down when they're playing against a team they feel like they should win. Um, so those games that should be wins, uh, it's hard to say, yeah, they're going to win all of those. Um, it's really hard to say that confidently. Um, yeah, this is the probably the hardest point of the entire season to be optimistic about the way things are going. When you look at, I mean, you'd have to expect that a team that were properly motivated would come out of the all-star break, like really firing, you know, they'd have practiced, they'd have rested, they'd have worked in Blake, they'd have, 
you know, had some time to bond um, and clear their heads and get motivated. And, and when they came out and had the effort they did against the Celtics, that's a bad indicator for how the stretch run is going to go. Yeah, I was I was not high on the Pistons going into the All-Star break, but the fan part of me was really hoping that a week off, I think they had like nine days or something between games, all things considered. And I realized that you're not together as a team for those whole nine, nine days. But my hope was that they would figure something out uh, and come out competing. And boy, we just haven't seen anything really even close to that. Two games that were, I mean, the Boston game, I think was competitive early, but boy, the last, what, seven quarters, six and a half quarters, it's been really, really, really rough. Yep. So, Sean, I started the podcast um, talking about the fact that I was really glad you were coming on because I've always seen you as an optimistic guy. Anyone who follows you on Twitter or who has been involved uh, in the DBB community for some time knows that about you. You're definitely a, a glass half full kind of guy. I tend to be the opposite. I tend to struggle with optimism and I tend to be a little bit too pessimistic. So here's how I want to close the podcast. Everybody knows things are going poorly right now. Everybody's struggling to see a light at the end of the tunnel. But I want to ask you, as the optimist, and on behalf of all of us Pistons fans who could use a little bit of optimism right now, can you leave us with at least a few reasons why Pistons fans should be optimistic moving forward? Not necessarily just this season, but moving forward, closing the season and into the next one. Yeah, I think even if they even if they really look terrible for the rest of the season, I still would not be very down on next season. And it's it's very simple why. I don't you don't have to be a dreamer um, or be blindly optimistic to to look to next season and have some uh, have some hopes that they're going to really have a good run. So you got first of all, um, it's it's easy to take for granted now um, because things have been going poorly for a while. Andre Drummond has, a, has had a wonderful season. I mean, you cannot look. His, his, especially his numbers, his numbers have been good all year, and the free throws and everything, and, and, the, and reducing the post-ups. But you look at what his numbers have been like since Griffin, and that's incredibly exciting, okay? Uh, but, I mean, he's been putting up, what, 17, 18 points a game, 17, 18 rebounds. I forget the last time I looked, but, I mean, he's closer to 20 than he is to 15, and points and rebounds. He has been playing... Uh, better as a as a rim protector, you know. I've seen him blocking more shots than he than I can ever recall him playing. Um, and you can look at the stats and they'll back that up, you know. Um, then you've got Griffin. Okay, yeah. It's again, it's ugly now, but this is the guy. He's going to stroll out next year. He's probably going to have improved his three point shot a little bit. We can hope. Maybe he can get it up to league average. But you still got a guy who can put up twenty two points, get to the free throw line, grab seven or ten rebounds throw out six or seven assists a night. You've got a great four or five combination. You've got a guy in Bullock who you're paying peanuts for, who's shooting 44, 45% from three consistently throughout a full season now. Um, you've got uh, Stanley Johnson, who, while he's not a good fit with his first unit right now, has actually played much, much better since the Griffin trade as well. Showing aggressiveness, he's taken it a whole more. Um, he's looking like at 21, like he's going to evolve into a good player at some point. Um, and then you've got Reggie, you know, again, you plug in Reggie with this lineup. And I, I really strongly think that until Stanley becomes a consistently uh, 36% three point shooter on five attempts per game until Stanley is that guy, I can't see leaving him in 
uh, the starting lineup next to Drummond and Griffin. But um, if SVG can work some magic pixie dust and find some guy who can start in that three spot or the two spot, move bullet to the three, but a wing player who can score a little bit off the dribble and shoot consistently outside, whoever the hell that guy is, um, then you've got a really good solid starting five. And then you've got guys on the bench like Ish. You got Stanley, you got Kennard, you know, you got some other pieces, Tolliver, possibly if they bring him back, you've got the pieces there for a solid bench. Um, uh, but it, it all hinges on, you know, that everybody being healthy and, you know, being able to give this team a time to really play together. So even if this team flames out and finishes in the lottery, um, which anyone can look at and say, that's probably what's going to happen from this point. Even if that happens, I would not be, um, you know, burning my Pistons merchandise. I wouldn't be shouting for SVG's head. Um, I would be looking forward to seeing what this do when they're all healthy and put together next year. I think I speak for all, everyone when I say we needed that. <laughs> we definitely need pr- some perspective when things get rough. <laughs> I mean, this has been such a roller coaster of a season, right? I mean, the first, I forget, 15 games, 16 games, they were like 13 and 2 or 13 and 3, something crazy like that. This season started on such a high note. And then things got tough, right? That There was some losing that happened, but the team was still comfortably above 500. And then Reggie went down, and the team seemed to go down with him. Then we acquire Blake Griffin, and things are great for a few games, and now they're terrible again. And, you know, even a guy like me who tends to bury his nose in the stats and tries to be as objective as possible, look, we're all fans. We all get caught up in the win streaks, and we all get caught up in the losing streaks. And right now is a losing streak. And the last piece um, of the podcast for me, uh, I'm going to dig deep and find some optimism here myself. When the Pistons acquired Reggie Jackson, I believe they lost something like nine consecutive games before they figured out what the heck was going on. And they closed the season a lot better, right? They, They still didn't make the playoffs. It felt in some ways like, um, Stan sort of threw away that particular season in an attempt to try to improve long-term. I think there's still an outside chance that this team can figure it out enough to be enjoyable for the last 10 or 15 games and to give us a little bit of hope for the future. I think the playoffs at this point are basically impossible. They're very close to impossible. Um, but the optimist in me says – there's still a chance that something could click because we've seen it happen with Van Gundy's teams here in Detroit before. And we've got to try to, to balance ourselves. We've got to remember that only the very best teams in the world don't have these kinds of roller coasters. I mean, look no farther than the Miami heat for, for example, the last two seasons, uh, they're a playoff team right now, but they have been an absolute roller coaster. The Pistons just happen to be that team right now. And although we might not be able to say specifically how, I think we all kind of want to hold on to the fact that we've been here before. We're probably not going to be where we want to be after the 82nd game of the season. Um, But there might be some things to hold on to and some things to look forward to uh, a year from now. And I think that's all what we're pulling for. Yeah, it's not, you know, fans don't need to be, you know, you you keep your, when you think about the long term, you know, that's a really important thing to do. You think about the long term and what this team has. Uh, They do have some things that other teams don't have, uh, which are they have their, most of their core players locked in for a little while. 
you know, and you can say that Blake's uh, contract is extremely overbloated, and it is. Um, but at the same time, you've got you don't have to worry about him leaving. You've got Blake, you've got Dre, you've got Reggie locked up for a couple more years. Um, you've got you got control of Stanley, you got control of Kennard, you've got control of you know the, the guys who are really your lifeblood that you're most dependent on for the future. Those guys are locked in, and the challenge is you know continuing to get improvement from those guys and continue to work some magic with trades and, and free agent acquisitions. Um, but yeah, you know, I, you know, I have to say, you know, just on optimism and, and pessimism overall, you know, it's a lot easier to be pessimistic, you know, and, and we see a lot of that out there and it's, it's so much, it's just the way that we're conditioned. It's like everything that goes right in our lives, everything that's good, we can ignore and take for granted, you know? So the fact that you've got these good things going for you, it's like, Oh, okay, well, what next? What's going wrong? What's not right in life? And so people typically, even people who are millionaires, you know, they, they, they focus on what's missing, what's wrong, what's not right, bad memories, you know, pessimism, and they can get really depressed even in the midst of really good times, you know, so it's important to always keep in mind what you have going good for you. And, uh, and you know, if you're going to be a fan, right, this is the thing I don't get for some people. It's like, if you're going to be a fan, it's like, it's not even fun to be a fan when you're a pessimist. You know, I mean, if you're, if you take it too far, because if you're a pessimist, you're always worried. You're always anxious that things are going to collapse. And, uh, you know, if you're an optimist like me, you know, it's like I have a great time when they're playing well. And when they play poorly, it hurts while I'm watching the game. But when the game is over, you know, I'm, I'm onto my family, you know, and I'm onto my kid and I'm onto my work and things that are good. So, like, that's what this should be. You know, this should be a fun pastime that people enjoy uh, instead of raging about, you know, so much uh, in between games. It's like have fun with it, make the best of it, enjoy it you know, and then walk away from it, you know, and enjoy your life. And if people do that more, I think they'll have a better time with it. Sean, I think that's a fantastic way to wrap up the podcast. And I'm going to take that to heart uh, because you said a lot of, a lot of good things that I, I can take into heart as a Pistons fan. Um, please don't go visit my Twitter feed though, because you will find many instances of the opposite <laughs> I've seen a few posts. happening. Um, so ser- in all seriousness, I am going to take that to heart. I think it's, it's very wise words, uh, and I'm, I'm definitely put that into practice. Uh, Sean, before we go, tell people where they can find you outside of the blog. Do you have a Twitter account that people can follow? How can people connect with you? Yeah, I go by my handle is HypnoWheel, at HypnoWheel. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got uh, my website out there where I do therapy, you know, and people can find me there. It's, it's called uh, purehypnosis.com or heartbreakhypnotist.com because I help people with their relationship problems and got a Facebook page for that set up there as well. So uh, look me up and find me. And yeah, let me an know excellent if I can follow help. on Twitter. Um, occasionally post some really cool stories. When, you know, obviously the line of work you do, you can't share everything, but uh, some of the stories that you post about clients that you're able to assist and help, very cool stuff. So definitely check out uh, Sean's Twitter, his website, et cetera. Not just for piston stuff, uh, but for more words of wisdom and, and uplifting stuff that'll help you hopefully be a little more optimistic about the pistons uh, and maybe some other stuff in life as well. Sean, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you back. Once a season isn't enough, we're going to have to try to get you back on here, uh, especially when we're struggling, uh, because I really appreciate your perspective and I'm really glad you joined us today. All right. Happy to bring Absolutely. it, Ben. Thanks, and thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, leave us a rating on iTunes. Leave some comments on Detroit Bad Boys. Let us know what you want to hear about. Give us some feedback about the podcast uh, because we do take it to heart. Uh, Between now and a week from now, have an awesome week. Uh, Hopefully when we speak next, we'll all be a little bit more optimistic because we've listened to Sean, but also because the Pistons have played a little better. 
That's what we're all hoping for. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.